Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. From NBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Truth and Justice. We are officially home from CrimeCon, and this is your Friday follow-up. For season 12's bonus episode, where we heard the mildly heated discussion between Bob and the captain over the John Bonet Ramsey case. Now, this is just a small portion of their live show from a few weeks ago, which you can hear in its entirety on Patreon. You can sign up on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can sign up for the $5 level, which gets you all the bonus content, including our little pre-show show, which has kind of turned into its own thing which is a lot of fun. I mean, we talked for an hour today. So with that being said, I'm here with Bob and Janet. We have a lot of questions about the JonBenet Ramsey case, Pinion Pines. And if you ask real nice, I bet we have a crime con story for you too, right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission, and the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. Alrighty, Zach, that was a solid intro, and I think Janet and I agree from here on out. Zach's intro. Zach's guy. intro. I absolutely insist. I was having fun, but I don't know about always. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be old hat so soon. Maybe maybe it's the crime con flowing through me right now. Like I feel pretty good. Right. So uh speaking of crime con, I think a good place to start would be for and we held this, but we didn't talk about this in the Patreon episode, but I, I posted a picture on social media of the captain and Jim Clemente looking as though they were deep in conversation uh, and said we would tell the story in the Friday follow-up. It also happens to be what you consider to be the most awkward and best moment of CrimeCon. So, Zach, explain what happened there. It was by far the best moment of CrimeCon, also the most uncomfortable. It was so uncomfortable at one point that our wives left the table. <laughs> so we're we're there walking around. Jim ends up texting Bob saying he's there. We went and sat, had a few drinks. With Jim kind of having a good time. And unbeknownst to us, 
the captain has text Bob to say he's arrived. Mm-hmm. Bob, unbeknownst to the captain, says, we're sitting at this table. Come join us. Doesn't know Jim is there. I forgot to tell him that Jim was there. I forgot. Air quotes, forgot <laughs> to tell him that Jim <laughs> now, was there. And this is all in the context of the conversation you just heard where captain thinks Jim's wrong about everything. Yes. <laughs> The captain walks up. I'm sitting directly to the left of Jim. The captain comes up and stands behind us, between us, and Bob proceeds to introduce him. But I, I'll let Bob give the introduction because only Bob can introduce him a certain way. Yeah. So also, by the way, Jim didn't know any of this was happening. Uh, so captain walks up and I was like, Jim, I want you to meet my friend. I said was real name is not captain. My friend, uh, captain, uh, he does the true crime garage podcast. Uh, so he, uh, has done a lot of research on the John Bonet Ramsey case. He thinks you're wrong and he thinks you're kind of an idiot for oh. saying what you said. Here you guys go. <laughs> you jerk. Uncomfortable. <laughs> oh no. Uncomfortable. <laughs> so then they, I got to hand it to captain. He, he was swinging, you know, <laughs> cause he's, he's like, well, no, no, no. I was just saying that. that, that, uh, you know, he starts kind of breaking down his opinion and Jim's like, no, but that's not, you know. I've seen the actual case files. I've worked. I actually worked the case when I was in the FBI and that's not the case. And then captain just kept going. Yeah, but, uh, and all of the yabbits were like, but the BBC says, Oh, until Jim has a vein right here. (laughs) And when, when the vein starts popping out, it was about the time that Michelle and Becky got up and, and left the table. But Zach was literally positioned right behind Captain standing directly behind him, and Jim is directly to his right. So the conversation's happening over his head. Mm-hmm. It was very, very uncomfortable. And <sighs> unbeknownst to everybody else in the, the whole bar, no one knows who these people are. Because at this point, it's not CrimeCon people there. It's Vegas people there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there's Thursday night. There's essentially two men yelling at each other. <laughs> In this bar. Oh, it was. <laughs> so what was, was Captain's takeaway? Was he like, you know what? That the BBC is always right. <laughs> yeah. No, I talked to him. That, well, and by the way, they were like, it got a little heated, but oh they were they were hugging in the green room the next day. Good to hear. Like they, they enjoyed it because Captain came and he's like, thanks, Bob. He's like, the highlight of my life, my, my weekend so far is getting yelled at by Jim Clancy <laughs> before I even went to my room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but no, he was, you know, I, I think Captain, he didn't want to admit in the moment that he was, that he, he was reconsidering anything. Um, but because we were like getting it, like after a while, I got into some pretty deep, like technical stuff, uh, medical, infor- you know, yeah. he was really coming out swinging though. He oh was, yeah. I cannot believe every time Jim would like rebut something, Captain would be like, yeah, but this. I'm yeah. like, dude, you need to stop arguing with him. Like, this is getting out of hand. Yeah. Like, you are clearly losing this. It's, yeah. Anybody can see you're losing this right now. <laughs> the point where Captain took a cheap shot at the end, which I won't repeat. Yeah. But that's that's when the wives left. That's when <laughs> yeah. Becky and Michelle left is when the cheap shot came in. Oh, no. Do, We're all dying lawsuits. to know what the cheap shot was. Damn. It, well, fuck it. I'll say. <laughs> he's, okay, he's like, how was that settlement with Burke? Because <laughs> there was a whole lawsuit thing. I uh, mean. Which, which Burke dropped the lawsuit against him. Um, Wait, what? But, I thought they did settle. Not him and Jim. CBS. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, 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 I yeah. Think, yeah. I think yeah. settled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but what does Brian say? I'm shocked. Bob did that on purpose. Why would you be shocked, Brian? In our, yeah. in no, our there entire was a, history together, it was a laughy face. It's, I think he was. Oh yeah. Oh, I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds exactly like something I would do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of it, like we were, so we were getting into the um, 
like the, the moon shake marks on her neck and whether that meant she was struggling around the garage. Wait, uh, what did he say? No, this is important because we all know that we listened to your episode with Captain and you were only able to go so far before you just sort of had to defer and say, well, I don't know, but I know Jim Clemente believed da-da-da, like I trust Jim. Right. So this is sort of the second part. This is like part two of the conversation we all just listened to yeah. last week. So I, I guess, yeah, this, this is relevant to the to the case. So there is the, the one piece of evidence that is the actual evidence, not something, in my opinion, that's been. And I, I, and I want to preface the same thing as I said before. I am not a case expert. I've not seen this case file. I've only, you know, I, I've spoken a lot with Jim about the case over the years, aside from what's on the documentary. Um, but I'm definitely not a case expert and I don't have a strong opinion. But the, there's so there's. Half moon shaped marks around the garage, which would be from like fingernails from grabbing it. And it's it's the one thing that seems to, and Captain had that point that this doesn't really seem to fit the idea that the garage was was post mortem, as Warner Spitz had had determined. And and we were talking about the it's called the pugilatory stance. So so what she had was and the, and so this is just based on my my medical background as a as a medic mm-hmm. in the fire department. There's something called Cushing's triad. Which is when so what she she had this injury to her brain that caused a subarachnoid bleed. We know that, which causes pressure in the brain. We have pressure in the brain, and then it puts pressure onto the hypothalamus. That causes uh, what they call Cushing's triad, which is where it's bradycardia, which means your heart rate slows down almost to the point where. Well, to the I'll, I'll tell a real quick story. When I was doing my clinicals in the ER, um, uh, it causes your heart rate to slow down almost to the point. Nice light. I know. All of a sudden, a light that has been unscrewed for like five years just came on in a very haunting way. We're not supposed to be talking about this. It's a sign. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so, horrible. Let me turn. So let me turn my light off. But keep telling the story. So when the there's pressure on the hypothalamus, it causes this bradycardia. It causes your heart to slow way down. Um, it causes your blood pressure to go way up, and it causes your respirations to get erratic. Um, and so the the, the anecdotal. Uh, story that I was telling him was when I was in clinicals in the ER, I had somebody that came in and was having some medical issues. They couldn't figure out what was going on with him. And so I'm just, I'm just a, like an EMT basic student in the room and the, everybody's out of the room in the guy codes. I mean, flatly the monitors and he's gone. They come running in with the crash cart. They're ripping his his shirt off. They're getting the paddles ready. Um, they're getting ready to push drugs as you get contrary to what you see on TV. You don't actually shock somebody when they're in a flat line or a systole. You got, they have to have a, a rhythm to do that. So they're getting ready to push some epi or some drugs into him. And as all this stuff is going on and they're ripping a shirt off, the guy wakes up and says, what the hell are you doing? And the Whoa. monitor is showing that he's dead. And the one nurse who must've been new, I still remember cause she's like feeling, he's like, well, feel for a pulse. There's something wrong with the equipment. Feel for a pulse. And she's feeling for a pulse, and she's like, he doesn't have a pulse. And the guy's like, yes, I do. <laughs> and it was the weirdest thing. And they're like, he's what a is vampire. It? Yeah. Then the heart monitor starts kind of going again, and stuff's happening. And so it, it's confusing. So this was like my big claim to fame. As the student in the back, I'm like watching everything. And I said, it's Cushing's triad. I was talking to myself, and I said, it's Cushing's triad. And the doctor's like, what did you say? <gasps> I'm like, I'm like, it's Cushing's triad. His his heart rate's down. His respirations are almost non-existent. His pressure's real high. And he's like, and what does that mean? Is it means he's got a bleed on the brain? He's like, exactly right. So and he was like, and he was like, now basically like you idiot idiot nurses and doctors should have known that. 
Uh, but they took him and put him in a CAT scan, and sure enough, he had a bleed on his brain. Point being, so so the the Jim's kind of take on things is he thinks that she was presumed dead, you know, and because Jim's theory is that it was an accident that, that she was hit over the head and it was an accidental death, and then they staged it to look like something it wasn't to try to protect Burke. Um, and and if that was the case, she probably looked dead. They thought she was dead, and then. Another thing that happens when you have a brain injury, pressure on the brain, we've talked about in the Pinion Pines episode, case about the kind of boxer's stance when someone burns how yeah. their hands kind of go up like this. Yes. Well, when someone has pressure on their brain, they go into the, I always pronounce it wrong, pugilatory um, stance where they, for people just listening, not watching on YouTube, it's like, like they curl their arms and hands up. So imagine your hands like around your neck. So, you know, it, it just, it happens in those throes of death at the end um, when, because like you're, you're basically your body's dead, but your brain's not. And it's sending these weird signals, things like that, like, like that can happen. So anyway, you know, we had said that the, the, a possibility for those markings would be that, you know, that she had, because we know she had the brain bleed, that she had pressure on the brain. She was presumed dead and that, that pugilatory stance. And I'm, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, could still cause her to be reaching up and grabbing, to appear to be grabbing at the garage on her neck. So anyway, at the at the end hmm. of that conversation, Captain was like, "Well, if that's possible, and I'm not saying that's what happened, but if that's possible, then maybe I need to reconsider." And he's going to be doing, as he says, he's, he's I got a lot more research to do to think about some of this stuff. That being said, it's also fair for if he still feels like you know there's a garage and there are finger marks. If the simplest explanation is the most likely, then it would be that she was struggling to try to get that off. The, the hard part about it is, according to to Spitz, the markings from the garrote seem to show that the garrote was put on post mortem. That you know she wasn't alive. There's no. It should have caught. It was so deep. The garrote went in so deep into her skin. It cut the skin and went in. Yeah. But there's no blood. Yeah. So that's an indicator that obviously her heart wasn't pumping. When that was done. So then you, so what you have is this like, this like conflict of evidence, right? So there's this evidence that it was done post-mortem, but then there's also evidence that she could have been reaching up for it. Um, and the, and to be fair, the, the marks on the neck, the, those, those moon, half moon shaped marks could have happened, have nothing to do with the grot. It could have been in the moments after the injury was sustained just because of that. That's, that's not uncommon. Those marks hmm. on the neck for somebody hmm. with a brain injury. So it's just something to consider. I'm, I'm like I said, I don't, I, I don't want people going on saying, "Bob, you're wrong about this." I can't be wrong because I don't have a, a, a fully fleshed out opinion because I've never seen the case file. Yeah, and I think most of you guys know I don't usually, unless I've seen the actual case material, I don't really have a strong opinion. I'll tell you how little I know about the case is when he brought up his Santa Bill theory. I thought he was joking. I didn't oh, know that the, there was an actual figure called Santa Bill. I right. thought he was making a joke because right. I'm an idiot. And I didn't, I don't know much about that. You're case. not an idiot. There's a lot of things about the case that seem so absurd. If you don't know anything about it, any number of things could sound like, well, that can't be real. So the, that's not weird at all for you to think. There's so much information out there. Some of it's accurate. Some of it's misinformation. Let me put it this way. A lot of people have spoken a lot about this case who have never actually seen the case file. You know, there. I mean, every podcast out there has done episodes on it the the prosecutors podcast did like a nine-part series I, I haven't listened to it all i know janet you had 
told me to listen to it a while back. Yeah. I just I haven't gotten around to it. But I heard a lot of people mentioning that. Like they did a, a, a fabulous breakdown about it. And their breakdown led away from a family member. So I, I just I don't know. That's why like I don't I don't really have a super strong opinion on it. And I think what you heard in my conversation with Captain, what I was trying to do when I was trying to get it out was the way my brain works is okay, so let's just assume you're right now. It's kind of that scientific method of investing where you gather evidence, come up with a theory, and then backtest it. Uh, and I study a lot of behavior. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just assume you're right. Now let's walk through what that looks like. I want to, I want to think through every decision that the offender made to put us into this circumstance. And I started kind of walking, you know, it was hard to, to fully flesh all that out in the format we were in, but I just have a hard time with making any of those theories really, really make sense. I'll say too, another thing that came up in the conversation with the captain and, and Jim was the, you know, captain says the, the window was the point of entry, the, the window in the wine cellar room or wherever she was found. Um, and you know, Jim just said that there's, there was snow on the ground and there wasn't a single footprint outside. So there couldn't have been the point of entry and the captain brought, which is always brought up in the photos. There is no snow on the ground. But I think what, what Jim was explaining from the actual case file, and he's actually interviewed the cop that walked around and checked it and all the other officers there, is that when they got to the scene, there was snow on the ground. And if you've ever – so I used to live – I lived in Boulder at this time. Uh, so I went to college. And the, the, there, was a, there was a time I was there where we had – there was like a, a squall came through, and we got like 30 inches of snow in one day. And literally the next day, it was all gone. The, the 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 humidity there is like zero. Yeah, and and so snow melts really quickly. But the officer was was very. All the officers confirmed there was snow on the ground when they got there. The officer that walked the scene said he that that was his job was to look for footprints. There were no footprints anywhere around the house in the snow. And then by the time they got the camera out, the snow had the the dusting of snow had had melted away and was it was gone then. But it just makes it very difficult. I mean, it's it's hard to get around that. And people I, in the discussions I was having with people in our fan meetup, they're like, "Well, I just don't know unless I see." I was like, "Well, and I don't know either." But I can't, I can't build a theory based on the idea that there was no snow on the ground just because I want to. All I have to go off of is what the officer said at the time, mm-hmm. and he said that there was no snow. And they also said when they um, lifted the grate up that was over the egress thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when they lifted the grate up, that there were weeds grown through it, that they had to snap and break the weeds when they open the grate to the window, is what the original officers said. So to me, it kind of eliminates the window as a point of entry, not Which that there could have been another one. many people who believe that it was an outsider don't have an issue with the window either way because they point to the fact that there were so many sets of keys that were missing that had been distributed right. through time that some people who say say you know well that doesn't prove anything i don't care whether there are footprints or not because anybody could have had a key and gone into the house right. at any time that day and that's fair too and that's kind of what our discussion when it, when it got to the point where i was like i done fucked up because these guys are really mad now they weren't but they seemed like it <laughs> yeah let me tell you <laughs> it's a pa- people are very passionate about that case understandably Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bob told me before all of this that he was going to release this audio of this heated exchange that him and Captain had. That was his words. This heated exchange that him and Captain Semi-heated, had. Semi-heated, I said. Okay. Well, <laughs> I did not hear it. I heard it after I heard an actually heated exchange. Right. See, very mild. Right? I I heard the, the uh, Captain and Jim exchange and then went and listened to the audio. And I'm like, this is mild. This is not. You saw the vein, the, it, the Jim vein. It was so uncomfortable. Yeah. So, um, but so after a little while, I'm like, well, let's have a real discussion. So I start like literally moderating. I'm like, okay, so all right. So, so Captain, you're saying this and you're saying this because again, they both know, I will, I will, I will concede both of them know more than me about this case. I'm not a, in any way a case expert, but so they, but, but as I'm like working through scenarios and captain's like, well, okay, well then though they could have went through a door. There were so many people had keys. I'm like, okay. But so then that means that the killer after killing her in the house while the parents were home, sitting and writing three versions of the notes on their paper with their pen in the house with the parents home, leaving the note left. And then turned around with the key and relocked the door when they left. Because John Ramsey told police that night that he checked and every single door was locked. Now, he did change that later. But in his initial police statement, he said that he checked all the doors and they were all locked that day. And what would the utility of if he was part of and knew what was going on? What's the utility of him saying that? Doesn't that just point the spotlight directly on the family? And if they were doing all this, I have no idea what happened, by the way. But there are a lot of comments, by the way, in the YouTube, and we also have some great questions about it from our listeners who sent them in in advance. Um, you know, uh, Elias, and I really hope I didn't say that right, but, you know, he he or she brings up or they um, brings up, you know, that many people just can't imagine parents going to those extremes even to protect right. another child. So there's a lot of conversation about speaking of walking through then this would have to happen, then this, then this. People use that same logic to point to a family member doing that and saying, you also have to believe then that this happened, this happened, and this happened, and this is their daughter, and this is their darling, precious, like, jewel, and why would they go to these extremes? They didn't have to do, you know what I'm saying? So I've seen some of that in YouTube. I just wanted to shout that out and make sure that that gets represented by um, our wonderful folks who are with us live. And and my my response to that is, uh, and again, I'm not saying that's what happened, but but as, as far as those go, and we we mentioned this when we talked a couple weeks ago when I think Brian had said one of our listeners that you know you, you could probably rule Ron out as a suspect in Pinion Pines because Becky was killed. And I said we can't do that because statistically, you can look there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cases where parents did something horrible to a child. Now you might you whoever listeners are out there thinking this right now. They say, I would never do that to a child, but we can't say that a parent, that no parent would do that 
to any child because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of examples. But what there are zero examples of is an out, literally before or after in world history the circumstances that would require that, that happened that w- required if this was an outside offender. It's the longest ransom note in world history. There's never been one documented over a single page. Most of them are less than or four lines or less. There's never been an instance where a businessman's child was abducted and, or what was 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 murdered in the home, the body left in the home, and a ransom note also left in the home when the body's in the home. Like that's never so so even though yeah, I can say say, you know, sure we would think that, you know, a parent would never do that to their child. But there are millions of or thousands of examples of when it when a parent has done something like that to a child. But I can't I can't cite a single source or time because they literally don't exist. There's 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 statistics and studies done by the FBI where an outside offender behaved in this way. It doesn't mean it couldn't have happened, but it would be the only time in in the history of doc the documented history since we've been documenting crimes that something like this has happened. So as, as mm-hmm. crazy as it sounds to think a parent could do this, technically speaking, mathematically speaking, it's crazier to think that someone from the outside did it. So let me stop you for a second because we're at a perfect spot for this. Okay. Um, a lot of people know that there was an incident at CrimeCon involving Jim and John Ramsey. Uh-huh. That it literally ties into exactly what you were saying. There was there was a like a Q&A session. Jim asked a question to John. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the world is kind of blowing up about it. Uh, how do you feel about this? Or, or can you put this I, in perspective? I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as an incident. I thought it was a. Uh, I think Jim took some shit for it. But well, I, I say it's an incident because people are calling it an incident. Right. Multiple people have called it an incident. Yeah. Wait, Zach, but, tell us, tell us what happened. Like, I, I'm sorry, I, I actually have not heard about this. So I would love to just get a snapshot from you first. There was a a Q and A with John Ramsey, and and anybody could get up and ask a question, and Jim. Got up and he did give his condolences. I don't think he was, he wasn't aggressive. He didn't, he didn't come off as rude. He didn't come off as aggressive. He gave his condolences about his daughter, but then he proceeded to ask almost exactly what Bob said. You know, why is it that, that this has never happened before? If this is the case, why is it that this has never happened before? And kind of asked his theory. Yeah. Yeah. He, he basically, so that's what I had heard that, well, Jim had told me some people thought that I was you know, rude or out of line asking, what do you think? And I hadn't seen, I saw it today. A listener, um, Erica Miller sent us the video so we could see it Mm. right before we got on the air. And, um, yeah, he's, he was, he was, I thought respectful in the, in his least delivery said, you know, I want to offer my, I sincerely offer you my condolences for the loss of your daughter. My question to you is, is how would you explain that if this was an outside, um, intruder that, that, this has never happened in the history of the world. Basically, everything I just said, and and I thought John's response to it was fine. It wasn't wasn't heated at all. John John said, um, you know, I, I I think I heard him say, you can't I can't speak to the criminal mind, and you know, he cited some things that indicate why he thinks that it was somebody from the outside, and then that was that was the end of it. So I don't think anybody was out of line. Um, I would have had a different question, but actually, Jim told me that he chose that question. Because he didn't want to be disrespectful or, um, you know, very uh, aggressive. Because he had uh, he had obviously much more aggressive questions that he could have asked that he didn't ask. What would your question have been? Oh, this will make people mad. I would ask him, 
how do you explain or can you explain to me why we can hear you speaking to Burke and Burke speaking back to you while Patsy's on the 911 call and then you told the police that he had been in bed the whole time. And there are people who argue that you, that it's that you can't right. hear any of that. Like, right. That's still a thing that's people. Yeah, that's debated. Yeah, as people that's are why like, people there's get mad about there. it. I think, you know, I've listened to it. I've, I've listened to it with the noise canceling headphones on and gone through it. And to me, it seems very clear. You can even make out the I can't quote it, but it's something along the lines of, you know, we're not talking to you right now. Look at what you did. Um, it's hard to argue. There's not someone talking in the background. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's why. And. Yeah, I know there's differing opinions on that. My opinion is that's happened. That'd be the question that I would want to ask. Yeah. Actually, no, I would have never asked that question. That's the question I wish someone else would ask. <laughs> I, don't want to I just don't. I've got that Midwestern nice guy in me and I just couldn't do, could do it. Because, because the thing is, I will say this. If Jim's theory is right, what I, what I lean more towards was that this was based on what I know, that this was that the homicide and the abduction was staged. If that's the fact, I think that like this is a horrible if that is the if that's what actually happened, this is a horrible tragedy to the family. I don't I I don't I don't look at that as as though they are horrible awful people. I look at it as a terrible mistake happened. They were panicked, terrified parents. They were trying to find some way to to make it better and not lose another because I believe they had lost another child already or John had prior to this, um, yeah. And, and 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 so if even in the scenario where that's what actually happened, I feel awful for the family, and maybe that's not the right way to feel, but but that's that you know you you try to put yourself in that mindset, and I would say I would never do something like that. I would just call an ambulance, but we all say what we would never do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So, but th- that's why I say I wouldn't want to ans- ans- ask that question because yeah. if that's, if that's, think about, think about it this way. If that's the case, if Burke accidentally killed her, and then the parents staged all this to try to protect Burke. We know now that Burke, they didn't know this, but we know now, even if that was the case, Burke wouldn't have been charged in Colorado because he was under 10 years old. So it's not like Burke would have been would be in prison for this if this had happened, or if that's if that's what had happened. The it, it has it has cost a lot of manpower and a lot of heartache. But at the end of the day, no one else has died because of this. No one else has been physically hurt because of this. I just I just have a hard time being angry with them, even if that's what happened. If that makes sense, I might be just rambling. No, no. I, everything you're saying makes sense. Um, do you want to get into some of the uh, the listener questions that are pertain to both this and to listening to you and, and Captain and the show that you and Kelly and, and Captain did? Yes. Let's, we, yeah, we, we, I guess we're 30 minutes and we probably should, <laughs> we probably okay. should get to questions. Let me, let me do one thing really quick. Yeah. A lot of the people, a lot of listeners online and a lot of the people at CrimeCon saw the shirts I was wearing all weekend. I have to give... I have to give huge shout out to Betsy Kelly for the shirts that I wore all weekend. You guys saw them. They were amazing. We gave a few away, but thank you, Betsy. Oh, yeah. Thank uh, you, also, Betsy. Uh, at the end of the episode, because um, I'm glad you mentioned that, 
we're going to finally start selling some merch. And the first nice. thing we're going to sell is a T-shirt that she created that says, so it's it's in it's in big letters across the front in gray. It's a black shirt, and across the front it says, "Test the evidence." And then between the two in black, so you can't see it unless you look really close, it says "fucking." So it says, "Test the fucking evidence." So it's like, <laughs> "Test the evidence," and if you get close, you'll see it. How Bob says it. Uh huh. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so you're gonna say something about that at the end of the episode as well. I think I just said it. Um, okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> because we don't, I don't have details about it yet, but we're okay. gonna be doing a pre-order for those shirts sometime soon. Okay, great and great work, Betsy. Um, so Melissa says about the episode that we all got a chance to listen to. I think we need to shout out poor Kelly who couldn't get a word in edgewise in that John Benet <laughs> Ramsey convo. She tried so hard. Shout out to you, Kelly. It was definitely that is maybe the part that was the most quote unquote heated was just that. These two were going back and forth, whether it was mild or major. It's true that Kelly was uh, not super present in that. I, as a Patreon subscriber, was able to listen to the whole show that you did. And it's true uh-huh. that she got much more stage time and was wonderful uh, in the yeah. entire show. So if anyone's worried that she didn't get to know that she's very well represented in the rest. But it's true. Sh- shout out to Kelly in that conversation. Yeah, what, what, once once Captain and I locked horns for those 35 minutes, she was kind of <laughs> – she was – she, she, I think she tried a few times to to jump in, but but we were uh we and it, it, the the layout of the stage was I was in the middle and Captain was on my left and she was on my right, so it was a real bad situation because Captain and I are facing each other talking, which literally meant Kelly was behind me, so she well, it wasn't like there was like it was just an odd situation, but yeah she did she did get to speak a whole lot more and somebody else asked who Kelly was Kelly's our editor Kelly Barons Brink from the True Crime IRL podcast. Who is also our editor? That that was uh, who else was on stage with us? Uh, Carrie and I think we've kind of covered this, but Carrie did say she loved the conversation and the captain disagreeing with you made it a much better discussion. And she, this is again, we've kind of addressed it, but I wanted to give her a quick shout out. Um, she just wanted to know: Do you feel the family is involved because of Jim Clemente in his, in his documentary, or did you come to the conclusion because of your own research on the case? But even in that conversation, you kind of reiterated that you had not done that research, so. Yeah, honestly, the the biggest thing for me is I can't work out a scenario other than someone from in the house being involved, and that and that's all it is. And there may be more that I don't know and that I'm missing, but that's and that, and you heard me in that episode trying to, you know, that's when when I when I was got like, okay, well, I don't know all these details, but you're telling me, you know, for example, like, well, someone had a key and they came in. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that. And, and that's not me trying to. I wasn't like trying to trap him or be a smartass. I'm trying to work through in my mind. Okay, so I'm the gardener. I unlock the door. I go into the house, and I'm writing the notes, and I'm placing. Why do I place the note, and why do I? I'm trying to figure out why we do certain, why certain steps were taken along the way, mm-hmm. and 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 really, like my my opinion lands basically because I can't work out a scenario that makes sense to me other than that. Yeah. Well, there are great resources. Um, we talked about a few of them, but. You know, it's I think if you're really interested and passionate about a case, it is also it's always really good. I know you don't have time, but in general, it's always mm-hmm. really good to sort of hear different people's perspectives and right. how they explain things that another person says are inexplicable and stuff. Leanne says, is the DNA evidence that John Bonet's dad wants to test? Uh, is it new evidence or he wants old evidence tested again? Does anyone know? I'm not sure about that. I'm really curious, too, because the captain seems to believe he knows what the evidence is that they're testing. Well, he was talking about, like, the cigarette butts, but then I also heard this weekend that they did test those, and they didn't match. They cleared the guy he called Santa Bill or whoever, that he'd already been cleared for DNA. And I know that from the underwear, they want to do some testing or have done some. 
but some of that, so that if you watch Jim's docuseries, The Case of John Bonet, mm-hmm. they were trying to demonstrate why you may find other people's DNA on those underwear. So they took the exact same brand of underwear from the same factory, ordered it, never touched it, sent it in for DNA testing, and it came back with five profiles on it just from the workers working on it. So I got to talk to Captain several times over the weekend about this because obviously that was the big point of contention that we saw. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that he necessarily totally got his point across because when he was talking to me, his point was he believes that she was murdered. He doesn't believe that it was an accident. Right. Regardless of who did it. Okay. He, he doesn't know who did it. He oh, yeah. I didn't say get who, that from him. Maybe. Yeah. He didn't say he knew who did it. He didn't. He doesn't have it. He is under the impression that she was murdered, not right. that this was an accident that Burke accidentally killed her. Mm-hmm. He's under the impression or he believes that she was murdered because of the moon shaped marks on her neck. Right. So I think that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that he up. Was, Zach. He was really like arguing back and forth with all these points that were kind of mute. Mm-hmm. But I think when I talked to him, that's what I got out of it was it wasn't that he believed that Santa Bill did it or he believed that whoever did it or the housekeeper or whatever. He believes she was murdered and they should figure out who murdered her. Right. Yeah. That's I think fair. that's that's really, really well stated, Zach. Thank you for, for pointing that out, because he does talk about that a little bit in the in the episode we heard of your conversation. but. Um, if you believe that, if you believe those marks are what they are and you believe that the grot came first and you believe that that's what the evidence proved, because some people say that's what the evidence proves, even though other people say that's not what the evidence. And mm-hmm. there's some great chat in the YouTube um, folks about just saying, you know, that's one of the hardest things about this case is just the contamination at the crime scene and the way that the police investigation right. was initially it wasn't even an investigation. The way that they handled it on the offset made it so challenging for anyone to perhaps find the truth. Um, and I think that's that's an important thing that does that is said around this case a lot. Yeah. And, and I do want to point out, too, that, you know, for the people that, that disagree, like, like, first of all, in general, let's I think I think we could always have a lot better discussions if we can avoid being heated in general. And that was a very emotionally driven case. But for those that, you know, that, that, deba- that debate some of that medical evidence and I'll have people that will tell me you're completely wrong because this doctor I I look at. Werner Spitz's opinion and I tend to and I and I tend to agree with him because he's literally the ME that wrote the book that the other MEs learn from it's, and and it's not to say he's right or somebody else is wrong but I'm not enough of an expert to know who's right and wrong so I tend to I tend to lean towards and you've seen that on the show I bring in experts who I think are top in their field to guide my opinion on things and so I I tend to lean towards his opinion I know that there's other pathologists that have given contrary opinions and they very well may be right but that's just where my mind comes from great and Kristen says did bob and zach attend the session that mr ramsey hosted uh we know that you guys didn't but you heard about it um and anything else you want to add about what mr ramsey brought to the case and what he was actually talking about beyond the questions that he was taking from the audience well there were there were two sessions that so the one jim was at was an ama that happened on sunday um, okay but 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 John did an actual presentation on Saturday, and unfortunately, we didn't get to see that either because I was I was speaking at the exact same time he was, so we didn't get to attend that one either. Okay, so we'll have to turn to the internet to find out a little bit more about that because the guys weren't able to be there. Do you want to go into the Pinion Pines case? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. All right, Pinion Pines. All right, Laura says, do we have anything to corroborate the call to Denny's or Becky's reason for being late? Considering her wallet, phone, and keys weren't found, I don't think Becky was late because she went back for her shirt. 
Even if she called to say she was late, the manager could be misremembering the reason she was late, and I don't think we should take his seven-year-old memory at face value unless we have something or someone else to corroborate it. So we have, there's another manager that was a morning manager that that at least corroborated that she was supposed to work and didn't show up that night. Um, I don't know that there's a, a direct corroboration of the of the phone call. We definitely, as I said last week, we, you know, I definitely don't think she got halfway down the hill and forgot her shirt um, and went back because there's just too much that doesn't equal that. As mm-hmm. far as corroboration of it, um, that I'm hoping we're going to get to, and I'm not like I know this and I'm waiting to tell you. I just haven't gone through the process yet of taking all the phone records. For, so, th- so this is what I'm, I'm, I'm working on. Her cell records, her home records, Robert's cell records, Christian's cell records, uh, Javier's phone records, Jacob's phone records. There's two. There's people we haven't met yet, like Bo Nash and Austin Alba, uh, who were connected to all this. That are all are part of that group. And we have I have all these phone records, and I'm trying to put them all together to see if there's a call to Denny's somewhere in that in that mix. Mm-hmm. Because I think something that maybe hasn't been considered yet is the possibility. I think you've brought it up before, Zach. Was that maybe she was, you know, actually out with someone, and and still had to run home, right? And was and, and was like, oh, I'm going to be late. Let me say I'm getting my shirt, and I'll have them take me home. Um, in, in that case, that call could have been made from someone else's cell phone, or so I, I don't know. It, right as of right now, no, it's not corroborated, and it and it and it's not looking like it probably happened. But we haven't been through all the phone records yet. Got it. One of the things that I wanted to ask that actually isn't in the questions is, how are you feeling about, has there been additional feedback about the pen? You know, you'd asked, you wanted to continue to get feedback from listeners about that gold tip and the threading and, and what could have happened there. Any mm-hmm. any additional feedback you've gotten? Any new thoughts on that? Yeah, all over the, for every one person that says, I've checked and done this and all these different things, and I'm certain that the tip is missing from the pen, someone else will say, no, I've looked at it very closely, and because a flash was used on the scene, that there's overexposure, and where it looks like the tip is missing is actually a reflection of the grass around it. I've looked wow. super. I've looked for hours. Have stared at it. I have a hard, hard time picturing that tip there. In the, I, I, I can't seem to make I, it. work. I could be wrong, but I almost feel like you can see threads in the photo. That's what it looked like to but, me. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. If I look at the photo from the crime scene where the, the, yeah. the tip is missing, it almost appears that like you can see the threads where it would screw up. Right. And and one thing I want to try to do is try to find the actual photo because I believe the photo that I posted is from the exhibit at trial, which is a photocopy onto a PDF. So I'm hoping maybe if I can find the in that case file somewhere, the actual original photograph that's clearer, and then maybe we can get a better look at it. But I, I don't have. I don't know with the pen yet because it's just it's when someone when people are like professional photographers are saying I'm a photographer and that's overexposure the tip is there I could say like okay well maybe it's maybe the tip maybe the tip is there or it could be there but I I can't see it my brain won't see it my my biggest thing is I mean I I can understand where people are coming from but seeing what I see and seeing the possibility of threads I don't know where that artifact comes from I, I don't right. see that coming from overexposure. Where does that artifact come from? The artifact of the actual threads you see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see, where does that come from if it's overexposure? Right. Great question. So I, that's that's a big thing that I just don't see there. I could be completely wrong. It could be overexposure, but that's the that's my hang up with the overexposure theory or idea mm-hmm. about it is why does it appear there's threads there? Right. Because there's not there's nothing that appears to be threads on the photo with the cap. 
Right. Mm-hmm. It's a smooth surface. I don't see that it's going to reflect or do anything weird that's going to, who knows? No, it's a great point. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, if you find a clearer picture, that could put some of this to bed. So it's a, it's a to be continued. Um, but I'm glad they're still, everybody's still participating in that and, and theorizing. Jill says, can we clear up if the lone shoe on a ledge mentioned in a news article about our case is something we should be paying attention to, please? Someone posted it here a while back, that being the Facebook page, from a reporter describing how the scene was when they visited. I don't know. So we don't have a photo of it or anything. What we have is you have a reporter that wrote and was kind of setting the scene like it was an eerie scene as I walked up to the house with the house demolished and a lone shoe leaned up against the back of the house. And then everybody, it was a great catch. They're like, what, what is this lone shoe? I don't know. I mean, could it have been Becky's shoe? It's possible. I would sure like to think that the police wouldn't miss something that obvious. Um, but I, and I know there, there's photos later, uh, where I like a neighbor found a pair of shoes somewhere back in the, but it wasn't really back where the crime scene was, but somewhere back in there, it was like a pair of shoes or a shoe, but it's not, it's, they're like, like men's new balance. It looked like an old, like an old man shoe that were like back in the, in the, in the desert somewhere. So maybe somebody grabbed that and set it up by the house. I don't. I have no idea. I, I mean, all I, I only know what you guys know, which was that the reporter, when she went there, hmm. you know, after, I believe it was after the house was demolished, saw the shoe there, saw a shoe there. Oh, stuff like that really adds to the mystery, though, doesn't it? I mean, seeing mm-hmm. that the that information lives somewhere and doesn't live somewhere else where it should, it's really, really interesting and frustrating. Um, I had pulled something from the YouTube chat. Remember, I said I took some screenshots last time. I've, I'm still holding on to some that are arson related, but I wanted to throw in Teresa's comment uh, when we were talking. We talked a lot about the shoe and the sock, right, and how that all could have happened. Um, and we talked about your theory or, you know, you postulated that perhaps she was it was pulled off of her as she was trying to get away. Teresa just threw out last week. Maybe Becky was in the middle of putting on the shoe when the killers entered the house. Yeah, it's possible. I, I mean, the, the the shoe rolled down or the sock rolled down to me is more indicative that it was pulled off. Uh, the, and I've seen people have different theories about that, too. But yeah, it, it's it's possible. That's all I can say. I mean, yeah, it, it's possible. But. But it just seems more likely to me that the shoe came off or was pulled off in order to roll that sock halfway down her foot. You know, I just don't see the scenario where she's trying to put it on and then that happens. I guess maybe if you're running it, but if you're running it, should I wouldn't think it would roll down like that. Mm-hmm. So a listener posted something and we may get to it. It still may be in there. But uh, one thing I forgot, I mean, I wore skate shoes at this time and, and they were very, we slipped them on, slipped them off. We very rarely tied right. them. Yep. And, and, and hers list, weren't tied. And the listener had talked about the possibility of it, you can't run in those. Right. So the possibility that it just came off while she was running doesn't explain the rolled down sock, but it does explain the shoe missing, which I had never honestly thought about, even though I had wore those before. I never really thought about the idea of it just coming off during that. Yeah, I, I saw that and I've worn shoes like that back, back in the day. And yeah, they, you could slip them on and off. I've never, but I've definitely run in them and never, I've never had them just fall off. Oh, I have. Have you? I wore them for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I definitely um, had slip on vans that would just fly off if I ever tried to get any speed in them. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I guess that it, it, it's possible. But again, you still have the roll down sock and then you have the where is it? Mm-hmm. Right. Understood. You know, where's the shoe? Understood. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lynn says someone has identified the gray shirt crumpled on the back seat of the Scion looks like a Denny shirt from that time. The blue shirt neatly draped over the driver's headrest in the Infinity seems like it's a work shirt being kept unwrinkled. What are your thoughts on these items? Great catch. I just got tagged into this thread last night where, where a listener, and I don't remember which listener found it, um, but but several people were talking about it. I didn't see it. In the backseat of the Scion, which is the car Becky was driving, there is what appears to be, it's like a grayish, smoky blue um uh, looks like a polo shirt tossed in the back. It's, it's like crumpled up, tossed in the back seat, like I think on the passenger side. And, and then people looked up like Denny's shirts from around that time. And one option is a polo shirt that's that cut's kind of greenish gray. It's hard to see the color, um, but that kind of drab color polo shirt um, that was a Denny's uniform at that time. So it's very possible that is the shirt. Now the other one is in the Infinity, and it's a it's like a blouse or more like a, even a blade not quite a blazer but somewhere in between there it's it's definitely something i would picture an older woman wearing it looks like it's pressed it's leaning over the back there are big buttons on it um the and and the infinity was the car that vicky drove so my assumption has been that was probably a jacket that vicky wore to work looks like something you would wear working in a department store um so i, I think personally i think that that is kind of a royal blue color that that is like, that's probably not related to to Becky at all. But I do think that there's a real good possibility that shirt in the back seat is Becky's work shirt. And hmm. that's what the hell does that mean now? And so now you've got no purse, no wallet, no keys in the car. And the shirt is in the car, if that's the shirt. But it's all balled up like it's. Just like somebody took it off and just tossed it back there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like so it's not like it's crumpled. It's a sort of no. It's just like tossed back. Yeah. Got it. Um, and that seems like if that's the shirt, I mean, it definitely lends to that theory that she's buying time somehow. That she had the shirt. The that whole she time. had the shirt the whole time, regardless of if she was, mm-hmm. regardless if she was in the valley coming up or she was going on a hike. Right. She was trying to buy time. Yeah. I mean, it definitely. If lends the call to that. again, I want to point out as as a listener asked on the question. If the call actually happened, again, we're looking at somebody's memory seven years later. So that call maybe didn't even happen. But yeah, okay. so I, I have to think through that one because now, yeah, like you said, it could just be uh, she had the shirt the whole time. It was in the car. But just the way it's just thrown back there, because the car, if you look at it, it's pretty neat. Everything's pretty neatly organized in the back and this shirt, the shirt's just tossed back in there. So I don't know. I don't know what that means yet. I got to think about it. There's also some some talk in the YouTube about um, just the sort of, again, the sort of general timeline, when the call would have happened, when Becky's time of death would have been established based on when we think the fire started. 
when that call could have taken place if she was supposed to be at work at a certain time. Um, so maybe let's put a pin in that one to when we talk a little right. bit more about the real best timeline we can get for the crime. Um, Lynn also asked, does the wheelbarrow path share the regular walking path from the house to the wilderness area, an area some said was a pot smoking hangout? I keep thinking the shoe tracks and wheelbarrow tracks are mostly unrelated and left at different times. There is no path out into there's no like established path out into the wilderness area behind the house. So there, there's a, there's a very clear path that leads from the back door to where the wheelbarrow is sitting with her body in it. But then behind there, it's just, you know, spark. You can look in on our website on some of the aerial photos. It's just, you know, there's the occasional pinion pine tree, some, um, you know, cacti here and there. It's just kind of spread. There's no like designated path to walk in back there. It just, you just wander back through. Is it sparse enough that you could see back there or is it overgrown where you, where if somebody was back there, you couldn't tell? Um, good question. Now you couldn't, you couldn't see very far. Cause even though it's pretty sparse, mm-hmm. um, th- there's enough bushes and tree, the creosote bushes are another one that they're out there that, you know, you couldn't see very far before there's enough of them that you can't see any further. Okay. I don't know how tall they were back then. I'd have to look at, at photos, uh, to see. I'm not sure. Good question. Gemma says, when you say Vicky was found by the back door, for me, this is really interesting as it suggests she was either trying to escape or killed on entry to the home. So for clarity, can you confirm she actually died there? There was talk of the ceiling falling down, etc. Is it at all possible she could have ended up here by virtue of falling through the ceiling or some other means of displacement due to the fire itself? It's it's possible, but um, I'm, I'm hoping that when we get into the arson investigation, we'll be able to find, but that's not super hard to find out. So when you're when you're excavating or digging a fire like this, you're literally you're finding layers. So you'll be you'll be finding chunks of shingle and stuff like okay, there goes the roof, and then and then here's burnt up what seemed to be you know roof trusses and and pieces of drywall. You know as you're pulling back layers, and then once you get to the actual body, you can you can see what like is the body in contact with say the linoleum floor in the kitchen or is there debris between there? You know, I actually caught an arsonist one time because, um, uh, as it, <laughs> the, uh, it wasn't actually an arson. It was a fraud case, but it was like an abandoned house that had burned down. And the, the person had told me like, Oh, well we pulled the main fuse. So this you gotta be a little older to know that you didn't always have breakers. You used to have fuses that you could pull out of your break where your breaker box is. I pulled the main fuse months ago, and so there was no electricity to the house. So I don't know what it could have been. And then I'm digging, and then I go look underneath the breaker box. And actually, the other investigators with me goes, oh, yeah, he's telling the truth. There's the breaker right there. And I said, yep, there it is, sitting on top of the shingles. Uh Which means they had gone in after the fact and pulled it out. And then later, you could see the burn patterns in the box. It was like everything was melted, and there's this big unburned spot where the breaker used to be. Uh, but that's that you so so there is a an, a science to looking at the layering of debris to determine that. So uh, when we get into the arson stuff, we'll find out what the arson investigator how he determined that. Great. There's also talk in the YouTube about um, multiple shirts. Perhaps there were multiple shirts supplied. That was something that um, Jason and and uh, Caroline Christie uh, were talking about. Um, that could be another option. Maybe you have one that's in the back, but you also have one in the house, and that's the one that you're going to wear that night. Could be. Could be. But I don't think if that was the case, if you I think if you had one in your car and a spare at home and you were halfway down the hill that 
you know, I might wear the dirty one before I would drive all the way back up and get it. But you know, it's all anecdotal. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone's saying that that would be that that would mean that she was necessarily driving back. It could just be she never left. She did make the call to buy time, but she also had a shirt inside that she was planning sure. to wear, perhaps. Um, these are just a couple of quickies that I had saved from last week. Uh, they are crime scene related. Josh asks, was there any blood spatter around the wheelbarrow? Uh, would blood spatter be something that would have burned somehow? And Jim says, because backing him up sort of says if she was shot while she was running, there should have been blood on the ground. There was just some talk last week that we did not get to about what could have happened to Becky. Could she have been stopped yeah. on the way there, shot, et cetera? I'd love for you to just quickly address that. Yeah, there was no blood spatter noted or that I've seen in the crime scene photos. Okay. Teresa says, did Teresa mention that she and her husband, Sean, owned the neighboring property at the time of the fire? I don't know which lot, but they did say it in a newspaper interview. Yeah. So they, um, I, I don't remember, I don't think I played the interviews, but the, the name, the guy that, that, that told them the story about being online and, and, um, hearing about Becky being in a gang or whatever, or being connected with gang members, he lived as a renter in the house next door i say right next door but i mean it was you see in the photos it's a ways away but the closest neighbor uh my understanding is that carissa owned that house it was a rental house uh she owned it and then but she didn't live there she had people renting it um and in the chat uh may has brought up the um the phone records a couple times i know that's something that hopefully we're gonna be able to get into but just again hoping for some clarification with that timeline um and yes. hoping that the phone records will help us so we will dive into that soon. We all hope. Amanda says, was it confirmed in case docs that none of the prints found in the desert matched shoes for Robert or Christian? We're going to get into, into the forensics and what the experts say and all that stuff is, is, is going to be coming back soon. I, I'll tell you this now. None of the shoes were confirmed to be a match to and it doesn't mean that it wasn't used at trial well you mentioned the he had a pair of vans so a and yeah so, so it's like that it's like well one of the prints are vans and he had a pair of vans but that's as close as we get we don't get sizes brands nothing that actually matches quick shout out to mary sounds like she asked several great questions but they'll be answered in future episodes yeah mary i just wanted to acknowledge that you were there were good questions but we we're just not ready for them yet okay and then our final question from Amanda. Amanda says, I love the hint you made around 26 minutes in this episode that the Pinion Pines case just never went any other direction as it should have. What is the next episode going to contain? Yeah, so this week's episode is going to cover the arson report. So I'm going to be covering Charlie DeHart's arson investigation. His, I'm going to be working off, I think I decided in my research yesterday, I'm going to be working off the trial testimony because everything gets a little clearer there in the trial testimony. I'll be publishing both the testimony and this actual report. Uh, and then we're also going to be covering the testimony of an expert that was brought in that is an expert on burnt bodies. Uh, so we'll be covering both of those. It'll be all about fire this week. Make sure you tune in on Sunday in two days. And with that, I think that we can go ahead and wrap this thing up. Yeah. So a lot of, before we wrap up, a lot of people have asked about a couple stories there. We've told all these stories on our Patreon before this show. If you want to hear the stories, join Patreon. It's Alrighty. true. A lot of great stories. Thanks, Janet. Thanks, Zach. And thank all of you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. 
edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. <laughs> I just realized I forgot to ever stop recording, so this is all in a file for Kelly. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Skystream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed, 10 megabits per second, 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday, 18 plus terms apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.